What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Hey, Dynasty Command Center Nation, we're going to feed that rookie fever tonight. This is Curtis Patrick. I'm back with Travis May. We're going to talk about Tier 2 running backs. The Rotoviz Dynasty Rankings team told you in our Dynasty Command Center Rookie Guide that we like Jonathan Taylor and we like J.K. Dobbins and DeAndre Swift. But what about the guys a little bit further down the list? The guys that are adding value later on in round one of Dynasty Rookie Drafts in the year 2020. Travis, talk to us about who we're talking about tonight. Yeah, so we are going to tackle the next tier. Well, it looks like it's going to be Cam Akers, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, you know, Benjamin, and Zach Moss. At least right now. Cam Akers, you know, he's got the blue blood uh, recruiting background, you know, not not the perfect uh, production profile to get him to where he was today. And Clyde Edwards Hilaire obviously had some competition in, in front of him for a while, but really rounded out uh, a nice career uh, and is fresh on everyone's mind, obviously going through the college football playoff. Eno weighed in a little bit slighter than you want to see at the senior bowl, but what does that really mean? And then, of course, Zach Moss that actually has a pretty solid production profile, but the question with him is, does he get the draft capital? So I'm excited to really dive into these guys and just uh, see what this next year really looks like. And I know we spent a lot of time in the in the, the the making of the rookie guide to get to this kind of second tier, but I'm interested to see what your take is on a lot of these guys. Yeah, man, I'm I'm really excited about this tier. I have some pretty strong feelings on a couple, but I'm still waiting for more information on, on others. And, and the first guy we're going to talk about is, is a guy that I've loved for a long time. I have some Debbie shares and I really need him to hit Travis. I really need him to hit on one of my kitchen sink teams and it's Cam Akers. So Cam Akers, talk to us. I mean, you're, I mean, you're one of the foremost Debbie experts out there. Talk to us just Give me 30 seconds on this kid coming out of high school and, and why he was on the map. Yeah. So, I mean, coming out of high school uh, back in the day in his recruiting class, it was basically him and Najee Harris and nobody else, even in the conversation uh, in his recruiting class. Uh, he was kind of an interesting prospect because he didn't always run as a typical uh, running back prospect would. He was also a Wildcat uh, quarterback. And so it was an interesting scouting uh, exercise, really, even way back in the day when I'm trying to decide what true freshman I want to draft in my nerdy Debbie leagues. Uh, but really what separated him was his physical profile. Uh, way back in high school, he's running a 4-4 flat, you know, putting up like NFL combine numbers in the, in the short shuttle, uh, jumping over 40 inches in the in the vert, which is just huge for running backs. Uh, really, his spark score was almost perfect, just about the top of any recruiting class that you'll ever see. 
And so there was there was immense hype coming into his college career. And obviously he he saw some success early on, had had a kind of a, a volume-based uh, successful first year, didn't have the yards per carry that you like to see uh, in, in his conference. Uh, I don't even think he sniffed five yards per carry behind Florida State's line. Uh, second year, it almost looked like, looked like he regressed. Uh, but this final season kind of put put it together. And even though he was kind of fighting through, you know, one of the worst offensive lines in probably the last decade for college football in, in terms of at least power five play goes. Uh, so really fighting through one of the worst situations imaginable there. Uh, so a lot of a lot of answers um, can be had when you look into the context of of his profile and, and his raw numbers are definitely are not like Jonathan Taylor. Uh, they're definitely not like. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, uh, but uh, he's definitely in the conversation as one of the most athletic backs in this class. And that's why I'm super intrigued because I, I just want to see him kill the combine. I, I wish it was already tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, man. And you kind of took us on the statistical journey there just to kind of fill in the gaps for everybody. Um, he never averaged six yards of carry. I mean, look, you guys are all smart. Like yards per carry is not the the greatest um the greatest metric to to use in terms of projecting future NFL success. But we also know that, you know, generally for our elite backs, we like to see six yards of carry, at least in their best season. I mean, he, he never, he never got close to that. So, as, but as an 18 year old true freshman in 2017, he did have a thousand rushing yards. He did catch 16 balls as an 18 year old. And then, you know, in his most recent season, and, and this would be his best season, um, 1100 rushing yards did have five yards of carry as a junior, 14 rushing touchdowns. He actually, he did increase his receiving production yep. every year, um, which I think is great. And he actually played one fewer game each subsequent season too, because of the success of the the program. Um, you know, he played 13 games his freshman year, 12 games his sophomore year, 11 games his junior year, yet his junior year statistically across the board was his best year production. So a little, little bit more efficient um, and, you know, a little bit bigger workload per game as well. But Caught 30 balls. Caught 30 balls in 2019. Um, I, I'm with you. I really need the combine to happen with him. And, you know, I think the reason that, you know, the, the root of his team does not have Cam Akers in that top tier really comes down to the production. But I think he could still get NFL draft capital if he shows up at the combine and challenges J.K. Dobbins as like the superior athlete there. And and even if he doesn't have the number one combine performance, you know, one of the great regression trees that we have at Rotoviz, and you can actually see this in my recent J.K. Dobbins looks like a future RB one article on the site. Uh, just go to Dynasty Articles, and you can you can find it there. Just by using combine measurables, which we know are important for running backs more so than some of the other positions, we can find a path to success for Cam Akers. Let's just do this on the spot, Travis, because you, I mean, you knew a lot of what he could do in high school. All right. So do we think he's going to run a sub four or five? Ab- absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, yeah, he's got the burst. It's a yeah, lock. Pretty much. It's a lock. Go, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's a lock. Um, we know that he, we know that he's, uh, taller than 5'10, right? And it would be a major upset. I mean, he's always been recorded as 5'11. Yeah. So it'd be a major upset for him to maybe, actually measure maybe, under 5'10. Yeah, maybe 5'10 five, five, and a half. You know, <laughs> Yeah, but he's not he's not no, five he's definitely nine. Not five nine. No. Yeah. Now do do we think he will broad hundred and twenty four inches? Broad jump? Oh absolutely. The dude squats over six hundred pounds, so Yeah. 
Okay. Well, so just that simple exercise, he lands in a node um, that is 78% successful, uh, 78% successful for um, a RB1 season within three years of entering the league. Okay. So we can actually wash our hands of all these concerns of his college production if he simply you know, falls into the nodes that we just went through live on the air. That simple. So if Cam Akers shows up and does his job, four out of five times you draft him, he pans out within the first three years as an RB1, that's pretty great. You know, and that's why he's still, you know, if we were only going on production with Cam Akers, then he might not even be as high as we have him now. There might be another another guy that's actually, you know, in this group that we're talking about today, had a much more impressive uh production profile than Cam Akers. But you know, we think he's going to smash this thing. And so, you know, RB4, I think, is where he belongs. Now, I will move him down. I will definitely move him down if he doesn't hit these nodes, Travis. I mean, he's going to drop to about a 50% success rate if he even misses one of these. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't really know what what to what what could possibly happen. I, I don't feel like he's going to miss miss the threshold. The combine, I, I just He's one of those guys that we've been so sure of for so long that now we feel like we have to be obligated to kind of second guess ourselves at some point. You know, it's like we're just trying to find something. But I think that he's going to have the capital. He's going to have the athletic profile. He's going to and really, obviously, there are answers to the questions with his production profile. So, Gamma Akers, I'm I'm okay still obviously projecting him as a top five back, if not a top three back when it's all said and done. But uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire... I mean, he's probably the next guy we got to talk about, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, just we we did get into him <clears throat> a little bit um, following the college uh, football national championship game. Really was uh, popped there. Showed off his uh, his yak abilities, which I, I think actually at times um, maybe are are being a little bit overstated. Um, certainly a talented um, pass catcher. Uh, but maybe not as electric in the open field as some of the other guys in the class. But, you know, for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as a late riser and and not as a guy who has the long history of uh, college football production dating back to his freshman year, I mean, he had 31 yards as a freshman <laughs> on nine attempts, did play 10 games, so um, was available, just uh, was not part of the not part of the plan at that time. Yeah. Um, had just over 150 touches as a sophomore, and then, you know, finally, this was the, the year that he popped. I mean, what do you think about Edward Tiller? I mean, was he even really even you know, on the, like, Debbie radar before this year? Uh, he was slightly just because of the LSU situation. Uh, but I think a lot of people, uh, were, were, they were thinking that other LSU backs were going to come in and obviously just take the role from him immediately. Because, you know, John Emery Jr. last year was one of the top backs in the country. He was, you know, it was like him and Trey Sanders at Alabama, a few other guys. Um, you know, some like Zach Charbonnet with uh, Michigan, but really John Emery was supposed to be the guy and come in and take his job. And that just didn't happen. Uh, a lot of times uh, the Debbie uh, people kind of get stuck on the original star rating of these players and look and look at him and say, nah, they're going to get passed by somebody eventually. And I think that's what happened with, with uh, Edward Celera because he was a three-star kid and uh, had a lot of competition uh, to overcome when he came into LSU. Uh, and really, I think a lot of people overlooked him because he um, – it, it really just that. And obviously the, the backs in front of him right when he got there 
but they really overlooked his athletic profile. He was a sub four five back in high school. He was a 40 inch vert back in high school. He was a very agile back in high school. He had all the, the physical things you wanted uh, in a back. He was just a little bit undersized for what people want to project to be a feature back at the next level. And that that's still the case. He's not like the, the 6'1", 225 pound, 230 pound type uh, bruiser or anything like that. But his BMI is actually not going to be bad. And he's probably going to have the sub 4, 5, 40. He's going to check more boxes than we think. Uh, he was just somebody that, that got forgotten because we assume that the, the next best thing is just going to overtake uh, the, the backs that, that are just actually better and are more experienced within the scheme and have, have, have an extra year uh, of experience over these incoming freshmen. Uh, and so I think that's taken for granted, especially at the running back position, just because we see those stars and we want to say, obviously, John Emery's way better. Uh, than uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So he was really not on the radar for debut purposes until like halfway through this year. We're like, ah, surely he's going to start fading at some point, right? Like even for college football DFS, like he wasn't like an autoplay until like after four weeks in to the season. So um, really bizarre seeing his late rise from, you know, maybe rarely draftable to, oh, he might be in the running back one conversation, which is just crazy. But uh, that's where we are. Yeah, with, for me with uh, Edward Dulaire, I I like the idea of like mid to late second round, but just what's already happened is he's basically consensus late first round pick. I mean, when you talk to different guys around the industry and, and different ranking sets that I've seen, you know, that's that, I mean that's where he's at. So I feel like we're we're drafting him maybe um, with a little bit of extra confidence because of of recency bias that maybe is not justified. Um, I, you know, we've got him at 10 in the dynasty command center rookie guide. That's definitely as high as I'm comfortable pushing him. Um, I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried about his height, um, and speed. So if we go right back to the combine regression yeah. tree, okay. Um, okay. Sub four, five forty. We think it's yeah. possible. I mean, four, four, seven was his, his high school numbers. I I believe he's going to be right at four or five or just a little bit under. Okay, so if he's under, I mean, you know what? Now we move on to height. I mean, he's he's not five. No, he's 10. probably five eight and he's, a half, maybe five nine. Yeah, so that that throws us into a node that has nine um, percent success of an RB one season within the first three years. Now you can be successful, and you can be a great dynasty asset without being an RB one. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean in terms of talking about stealing, you know, it might be safer to think about Edwards Alaire as more of a, and, and I mean, I think his, his physical stature and his number one trait of, of kind of being that pass catcher probably actually lend themselves better to being a committee back and, and maybe getting the high value touches as a committee back, um, getting the third down work, maybe having the opportunity to be, a James White type game script Absolutely. guy early in the early in yeah. the career, and then grow into something more. So I I just think that we need to be careful. You know, if he comes out and has an impressive combine with the late breakout, um, and not really have this is different than DeAndre Swift, right? DeAndre Swift was getting on the field in meaningful ways, even despite elite talent oh, yeah. in front of him. Even he was, as a he freshman. was the leading receiver. Edwards yeah, was, was, Swift was the leading receiving back uh, for Georgia as a yeah. true freshman, even though Chubb right. and Michelle were on his team. So yeah, definitely different there, right? And at, and at, 
and Edwards Hilaire, I mean, largely um, just not a factor until until his junior season. So late late riser combined with questions maybe about the build. Um, you know, I just think that we need to slow the roll. I think he's I think he's right where he needs to be. I mean, he's a one two turn pick until we know draft capital. Until we know to a lesser degree than draft capital, but still somewhat part of the soup is his landing spot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then concerns for both of these guys. So, you know, if you haven't got, if you haven't picked up the dynasty command center rookie guide yet, um, just go ahead and pause the podcast, go ahead go over to rotoviz.com and buy it and then flip towards the back of the guide. We've got a great article by Blair Andrews. Blair Andrews is our managing editor at rotoviz. He is one of the foremost fantasy researchers in the entire industry. Guys, I'm telling you right now, if you don't know Blair Andrews, am I the real Blair on Twitter? And um, his stuff, uh, his his series on Rotoviz is probably some of the headiest, most intelligent fantasy stuff you'll find anywhere on the internet. Um, called the Wrong Read, and he dives into running back, running back athleticism and production, and he shares a little bit about that in a really easy to digest way in our rookie guide this year. And he notes that when you control for draft capital, okay? So if you take two players that were both drafted in the same round, for instance, the guy who has 100 career scrimmage yards versus the guy, or per game, 100 career scrimmage yards per game versus the guy who did not achieve a threshold of 100 career scrimmage yards per game. I mean, they, the 100-yard cohort largely outperforms the other co- cohort um, every time. Doesn't matter where it, you actually have to get into the seventh round before it no longer matters. Yeah, it's crazy. And so, so if we, if we talk about, you know, the, the two guys that we're going to talk about after the break did meet that threshold, yet we ranked them lower and they're all in this tier. But I think it's be really interesting to see what happens with these four backs when it's all said and done. But before we get into those two backs, Travis, we're going to talk about our newest sponsor on the podcast. It's bet online. So did any of you miss your chance to uh, win big by betting on the Super Bowl? If you did, it's not the end of the world because Blue Wire is excited to be partnering with Bet Online to help you win big no matter the time of year. You've got March Madness coming up, the Masters, which is one of the Masters is one of my favorite sporting events on the entire athletic calendar. I love to be involved in many, many different ways, whether it's it's DFS or or placing bets on the field and Major League Opening Day, of course, for all the baseball fans. Well, Bet Online has you covered for all the latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Plus, you can even lay down your future bet for Super Bowl 2021. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code. It's BlueWire, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, BlueWire, and redeem your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. I signed up, checked out those Super Bowl bets uh, the other day. It's super easy. If you're already making wagers, it's a fantastic way to support our podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. Bring your best bets home with BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, Travis, Eno Benjamin, sen- the only guy so far we've talked about that was a senior bowl invite. He wasn't even a senior, but he got to go because he graduated early. Oh, yeah, he got Talk to us about Eno Benjamin. Got to the technicalities, man. And there's always one or two that uh, you're like, wait. He's not a senior. How did he make it to the senior bowl? And I, I actually had to like look that up, I think, three years ago. I'm like, how is this happening? 
And yeah, if you like, you meet eligibility requirements, you can make it. Blah blah blah. But he uh, went, and he might. Uh, turns out, he might have just got, been better off not going to the Senior Bowl. Uh, just because uh, uh, where he uh, actually ended up weighing in at was under 200 pounds uh, at his height. You just even though he's a little bit shorter, it didn't really check out to be a very uh, decent BMI. And so obviously that's not the death of a running back prospect. It's, it's not the end of all things, but he definitely fits into a different uh, regression tree uh, and, and group of running backs uh, and probably has to overcome things a little bit at the NFL uh, combine now. Uh, but uh, he's an interesting guy just because, you know, he kind of peaked, I guess, uh, the year before he uh, was able to leave in terms of uh, overall production. So uh, you don't really want to see somebody getting worse as they go along. Uh, but really, I, I, another guy that it could have been just a situational uh, thing too with Jaden Daniels being a new face for Arizona State. Uh, lots of changes to the offense uh, with Herm Edwards and uh, just things, the, the ball moving differently uh, this past season than it did uh, just the year before. Uh, but, you know, he'll be interesting just because he was immensely productive pretty early on. Uh, and the only reason he wasn't productive even in his first year was just injury injury related, really, just because of a thing that happened at the very end of his high school career. Uh, so very understandable why he he didn't dominate as a true freshman. But he could have been one of those players that was in the conversation for 2000 yards uh, as a freshman, 2000 yards as a sophomore and, and had things gone differently just schematically this past season in that same conversation uh, again. So really like the production, don't like the size as much, but uh, where are you with Eno here? Yeah, the, the senior bowl, it, it took questions that I had and, and made them even more, I guess, looming in his analysis a little bit. So, okay, we already know that, you know, Benjamin was probably, I mean, it's not that he's going to test poorly at the combine but he's not athletically on the level of some of the top guys that we're talking about um you know taylor dobbins acres those three guys in particular are i mean they're going to be very impressive like everyone's going to be drooling about um their combine measurables benjamin would be like hey i was there too um <laughs> i you know i i did all this stuff i mean he's probably not going to run so well yeah i feel pretty confident he's not going to run sub, sub four five and actually the the reason for the light weigh in at the, the senior bowl. And he actually divulged this um, upon interview. Like he literally has lost 10 pounds just to run the 40 more quickly and says he's more comfortable playing at a, a playing weight of two Oh six. Well, okay. Well like that's fine. But like, if you're not going to play at this weight, then of what value is the 40 that you run? Yeah. Like I just, I just don't understand. Like he's clearly being coached, but maybe not by somebody who's putting the whole picture together for him. Um, he also evidently has tiny hands, um, which I don't really love for a guy whose bread and butter seems to be his bats catching ability. I mean, he's one of the only guys in this class that had a uh, market share of receiving production greater than 10% on his team. I mean, that's really good. But, I mean, he had very pedestrian um, rushing efficiency throughout his career, and the receiving is really what we liked. But Okay, so now I got tiny hands. I'm going to be slow. And I'm losing weight just to not be quite as slow. Um, I don't really love this. And I think um, measuring under, uh, weighing in under 200 pounds is a major concern. Um, and he's not the tallest guy either. Um, so now we've lowered a BMI that already wasn't great in comparison to some of his cohorts in the class. 
So I'm for me, for Eno Benjamin, like unless there's a team that's in love with his production profile, I'm pretty concerned that he's not going to be a day two selection at this point. Like I think it's very in question that he is either going to be saved by late day three draft capital or fall, you know, to early or excuse me, late day two or fall to early day yeah. three. Um, which day three would just be disastrous yeah. for his profile. Yeah, it would be it would be really disappointing. It would be like I mean, even like with uh, Justice Hill last year, it's like he he could have, and uh, and really a lot of things about his profile said, hey, he's probably going to sneak into day three, and he just barely missed it. I feel like that that's going to be Eno this year. Uh, I mean, I've done a lot of recent scraping of data from all over uh, the internet just to kind of put together some kind of idea of what uh, real NFL people are thinking in, in terms of consensus and where he falls in, and he's all over the place in between like pick 150 and like pick you know 75ish so uh that that's quite a, a wide range when you're looking at uh, where a player could be drafted uh but if it's you know anywhere in in between there it's probably going to be uh, around for uh selection uh, especially when you look at recent history in terms of number of running backs taken uh in the first 3 rounds and really how this this class is stacking up in terms of tiers uh, he very well could be the first man out of that day two selection or the second man out of that day two selection. So maybe he sneaks in, maybe he answers some questions, but I th- I still think even at that size, he's probably going to be, uh, you know, a four, five, seven type guy uh, in, in terms of yeah. the 40, uh, if that. Um, now, obviously, uh, some of what we found in the guide is that the 40 is probably overvalued uh, in terms of, uh, where running backs are drafted in, in on on draft day, but I'm not really sure that uh, his 40 is going to help him out anyway. So definitely more questions than answers right now with Eno. Yeah, and I think you know I think it it's just going to really hurt him that some of these bigger backs are going to run so fast yeah, oh, this yeah. year. Like like Justice Hill running that four four flat last year was awesome, but I mean he weighed you know he didn't even weigh 190 mm-hmm. pounds. So, I mean, you have to contextualize the speed. I mean, we're going to have multiple guys over 210 running sub 4.5 this year. It just makes Benjamin look that much worse, um, especially when I don't expect him to, like, slay the three cone. And some of these other guys are going to do that as well. So, just, you know, I think Benjamin is a guy who was definitely, you know, a lot of people were excited about a Debbie after, you know, he smashed as a sophomore. Um, but I think just some real questions coming to light and it certainly belongs to be in tier two because of the production that he did amass. I mean, we can't ignore it. Um, we can't ignore a guy that has multiple seasons with greater than 30 receptions and the, you know, the receiving market share that he had. But I mean, I, I think I'm much more likely to be moving Benjamin further down my rankings than to actually move him yeah. up. Um, that's kind of where, that's kind of where I'm at with him. Whereas like we kind of started talking acres, you know, maybe he could inch up a little bit more. He might be able to leap a couple of those, you know, tier two wide receivers for me. Edwards Hilaire, I think he's kind of capped where he's at. I would only really probably be subtracting from him at this point. I just don't expect to need to do that. Benjamin, I'm just worried I'm I'm too high on him right now. Yeah, and, and it's funny, like I think like guys like you mentioned big backs. There are gonna be a couple risers that are big backs at the combine. Like AJ Dillon, he, he weighs he, he's gonna probably weigh forty more pounds than Eno and be faster than Eno. Like Antonio like seriously like antonio gibson yeah from memphis yeah antonio gibson from memphis yeah. might be like this year's like david johnson at the combine just absolutely annihilating it with all the jumps all the times like he could be 
at like 6'2", 225-ish, you know, just right at 4'5". And then you look at a guy like Eno and you think, yeah, like you said earlier, huh? he was <laughs> he was there too. That's cool. But but it's yeah, just yeah. there's there's a group this year that's going to really overshadow uh quite literally uh Eno in this in this class in this combine. So so two things and we're going to move on to this last guy. So for the first and actually I had a I had a um look at this for myself too. Antonio Gibson actually did measure in at just over six foot at senior day so like his college like um you know just like the the memphis stuff that you see out there like he was reported as taller than he really is but um when you <laughs> yeah with with eno i think it really is beauty in the eye of the beholder so all the stuff that we talked about travis all the great points that you just yeah. made it, it just takes one team there's 32 and what what did we see last year you know devin singletary i mean he ran a 40 like my grandma and the the, it, the the Bills didn't care. The Bills yeah. didn't care. The Bills scouting system said um, production trumps all, and the guy had video game numbers, and it didn't matter. And you know they still they still went after him. You uh, know, and it was to a lesser degree, but it was almost one of those like they they took who where mm-hmm. type reactions, like we saw with Daniel Jones at the top of the draft from you know all the big pundits. So you know it, it's only going to take one team to save you know Benjamin, but I think that is what. That is what he's going to need for me um, to feel like he's been saved. He's going to have to get the day two draft capital. Absolutely. So you took, yeah, you talked about these bigger backs, and and you know we're talking about production. So we're going to talk about another guy who had great production, much bigger, um, kind of can do everything pretty well. Actually, shiftier um, than you would think for a guy of his size. Not a burner, but shiftier. So you're thinking a little bit more like it's, I, I hate using the comp, but it's a recent comp in terms of size and not being a you know blazing fast guy, but still can make people miss. Would be like a David Montgomery, yeah. okay? Um, you know the agility's there, but the just pure raw athleticism maybe not. It's Zach Moss. So talk to us about Zach Moss. Yeah. So so Zach Moss with the athleticism that there are going to be some concerns there, uh, just because he's probably. He's going to be really scraping everything he can possibly do just to get down to four six uh, in the forty, um, and so that's going to be a question. Obviously, you got uh, exceptions that that uh, that worked out. Even recently, you saw guys like Kareem Hunt, you know, ran like a four six two. Like even Jeremy Hill was like a <laughs> he was like a four six. I think it was four six eight when he came out, and he was he was effective for a, a few years. Uh, but Zach Moss, uh, obviously. He looks like he's good at a lot of things, including breaking tackles and just finding a way to bounce off of contact and stay up. Uh, when you talk to uh, film grinders, they like him. When you talk to uh, production nerds, they, they like him because he's just good enough at a lot of things. And he forces so many missed tackles. He's just a blast to watch. So some team is going to be enamored with him. Uh, and I think now I was I was. For a while, I was a bit concerned that he was going to miss that day two capital. But the more I scrape in terms of uh, uh, all over the internet to find data of where people think he's going to go, the more I'm finding people are coming around on Moss and they're ranking him uh, kind of ahead of the Eno Benjamins, uh, perhaps uh, ahead of one of Edwards Hilaire or, or even Akers in some cases uh, based on their model or based on some film take that they have uh, just because he's done so well for, for so long. I mean, he's he's just pretty much dominated uh, with at least uh, 1,100 yards from scrimmage and 
not very many games uh, in one, one of the seasons anyway uh, for the past three years. So he does a lot of things, checks a lot of the boxes, but man, uh, he just he should probably not run the agility drills. Uh, it, it would not do him any favors. And he, he might be one of the guys that just abstains from the 42 because I don't think he can even get down to 462 uh, personally. Yeah, and we've we've seen other backs opt to do that. Um, it frustrates us. Yeah, <laughs> it frustrates all of us um, when they when they don't. But um, you know, he passed on the Senior Bowl. You know, so we've already seen him. Um, you know, make some of the. And I mean, he didn't really need that event with his profile that he has. Um, but he, he also may have just been concerned about adding any more touches on his old body. Yeah. I mean, so that that's that's the that's the other problem. It's the elephant in the room with Zach Moss. He's gonna be a twenty-three-year-old rookie, Travis. And there, you know, there's a lot of guys in this class that are gonna they're gonna play their whole rookie season at age twenty-one. And so, you know, we gotta be a little bit careful on the athleticism with Zach Moss. Gotta be a little bit careful due to age. Um yeah, but I I'm with, I'm kind of in the camp of of all the people that you talked about earlier, and, and maybe sounds like some of the other analysts that you've talked with. You know, he does do enough things well and has the size. And um, I think he could be like, I just don't know if he has like future RB1 upside in him, but I think he could be like a productive RB2 for a while, for a couple of years, maybe just, you know, for that first contract, you know, a second contract, if he goes on day two, a second contract, and we were talking about a 26 year old back um, already. And so this is, this is more of a short term investment as well. Not a it's really probably not a two contract or certainly not a two long contract player yeah. in the NFL. It's like a David Johnson situation, right? I mean, so you know, you blink and then all of a sudden, you know, he's one of the older backs in the league. So I could see myself, okay, so if, if Zach Moss did partake in some of the drills and, and you know, if he put up a decent three cone, like if he was sub six eight, like not, not even elite, but sub six eight, you know, that kind of actually saves him in some of our regression tree models. And if he then got the draft capital to go with it. And I'd feel pretty good about it. I don't think there's anything Zach Moss can do short of like the shock of all shockers and be like drafted in the first round or something, which is not, I just don't no. see it happening. But short, short of like something that would be very difficult to defend in projection, I just can't see ever putting him in front of Cam Akers. So, so I, I want to end this pod by talking about the movement within the tier. And I want to get your take. I'm going to give you my take. I want to hear your take. I think this is helpful for people as they understand like what's the value range of a player and what's the value range of where they could go in a draft. I mean, Cam Akers, is, it's going to be very difficult for me to move him out of that one spot in this tier. And I'm like looking for a reason to move him like into a tier by himself. Like I almost feel like he's kind of in a tier by himself versus these other guys. But I just, I just want the confirmation of the combine. With Edwards Hilaire... I mean, I'd like to see him be competitive at the combine and I might not have solved this whole thing until I see the draft capital. I mean, I'm probably leaving him at that one, two turn um, until I have just all the information with them. Cause just compared to some of the other backs, we just don't know as much about Clyde Edwards Hilaire with, you know, Benjamin, I'm worried that I'm be moving him down. I mean, I definitely could see myself actually dropping him out of this tier altogether. I mean, I think I could even do that before the NFL draft. I think I might do it if he's even worse at the comp, I'm not going to double penalize him. I mean, I've already ranked him low, so I think he's going to not be great at the combine. But I mean, if he's like really bad at the combine, I might you know further adjust. Um, and but Zach Moss, on the other hand, I could see him leaping 
Eno Benjamin. And I could see him creeping up toward Clyde Edwards Hilaire and maybe even draft capital at the end of the end of the road, you know, leaping him to be the RB five in the class. So that's kind of how I'm seeing these four guys. I mean, are you you much different? Do you see any of these guys differently than that? No, I think and even what we talked about uh, some last week with that uh, 2020 rookie poll mock that I always do with Twitter, I think Cam Akers is in his own tier. By consensus right now, I think he's in his own tier. By by our rankings, it's it's a little bit closer with the rookie guy. Uh, but I think um, I think a lot of people are expecting uh, exactly what you said to him, for him to really separate himself here soon. And so I think he will be in going in that direction. And I think the recency bias with, with Edward Tulare and, and a few people that have just held on and want to make him their guy, uh, he's going to be right around this range in the end of the first, uh, even if he gets like late day two or like late round two capital. I don't, I, I don't see him going much higher than that anyway. But if he, if he gets, you know, round two capital, I think he could be somebody that kind of still just hangs around the back end of the first just because of the, the wide receivers that are solid. Uh, and Zach Moss, if he gets that day two capital, he could be right there with Edwards Hilaire. And, you know, Benjamin might be that guy that, that drops down. Uh, we might see a couple uh, combine warriors hop up into the same tier with Eno. Uh, or even surpass Eno, depending on how things go. But I think Moss and, and Hill, Edwards Hilaire could be their own tier very, very soon based on what happens at the Combine, uh, what happens in a few more mock drafts, and uh, and really just the whole process. But I think that that's probably where they settle uh, in basically the order that we said, except for switching Moss and, and Eno tonight. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave listeners with a couple little teases here, Travis. It sounds like on these four guys, I mean, I actually see a lot a lot of I mean, I think we're in complete agreement on their profiles and and actually you know what will happen uh, with their their dynasty rookie stock over the course of the next couple of months based on what we project them to do. So I'm gonna tease just a little bit. So one of the things that we have in the dynasty commands in a rookie guide is three four round mock drafts and they're adjusted for uh, the three major settings that we see across dynasty. So we did, we did a start one QB PPR. We did a super flex mock. We did a tight end premium mock. So I'm going to talk about just that start one QB PPR mock in that draft. The first of these tier two backs to go was cam Akers. He went at 110. Sean Siegel took him there. He's the only one of these backs that was taken in the first round at that time. So then we see Eno Benjamin went 203, Edward Delaire went 204, and then I actually select, selected uh, Zach Moss at 206. So um, it's not even just you and I um, or even the guys that ranked in the rookie guide because there was only five of us that really put that together, but the grander Rotoviz team. It's interesting that they also have these four guys kind of in order and in that tier together. And because there was a little gap before the next back after that was taken. So that's, uh, you know, very interesting. If you want to see how the rest of those mock drafts, uh, played out, if you want to, uh, learn a little bit more about running back athleticism and production and how it translates to real NFL draft pedigree and actual fantasy production, um, from the mind of Blair Andrews, I mean, this stuff is right there in the rookie guide. Maybe you just want to know, you know, what tier do the you know five rankers have these guys in? 
um, how they compare to the wide receivers. You know, that this great class of wide receivers. All of it's right there. We got 25 plus pages already. It's comprehensive. It's right there for the taking. It's 15 bucks, and you get this plus two more volumes. Just go to rotoviz.com, click on 2020 Rookie Guide on the front page. It's not a mystery. Just go click on it. And you get this one. It's the equivalent of five bucks, guys. Fifteen divided by three. Five bucks for all this stuff in depth. And then you talk about it with us in the Dynasty Command Center Slack. Or you talk with us about it on the Twitter timeline. And, you know, we're just going to go crush your Dynasty rookie drafts this year. Travis, you got anything for us as we close? Well, I'm just excited to to talk about more and more uh, from this rookie guide uh, and really just dive into building the next edition. So we've got this first one. We've got another one. we got one after the draft. It's just going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about more of these rookies uh, here soon and really just other tier break players, other positions. I uh, can't wait for it. Uh, and National Signing Day is Wednesday, so I'm pumped about that. I, I'm a Debbie nerd, so I'm – there's a few guys that we still don't know where they're going. So I'm, I'm excited about that for college football purposes. But definitely, uh, if, if you're an early and into that, like, like I am, come find me on Twitter and bother me about that as much as you want. Cause I don't think enough people are into it. <laughs> it's mainly just a Southeastern conference thing, I guess. But at FF underscore Travis M, if you want to talk some recruiting here soon, but, uh, that's all I got. But, uh, <laughs> it's been fun again, Curtis, uh, just recording another episode of the Dynasty Command Center podcast. But until next time, everybody, keep living in that dynasty life.